Howdy, howdy, y'all, and welcome back to Weathering Rainbows. Today we have a special guest that is a is going to be responsible for our teacher episode. This uh, person actually has their own podcast, and one of the things we love to do with our podcast is lead people to others that is more focused on exactly what they're looking for. This interview segment is sponsored by Just Fun Kentucky. Just Fun Kentucky is an endowment that supports the many community groups that are fighting for fairness and equality around the state of Kentucky. Oh my, go sirens! I feel stormy weather moving in! Girl, that ain't men, it's raining. That's sequins and stones. other to weather the rainbows today we have brian stanton with us um, and i know you've got several different roles that you play you're a teacher you're a parent a citizen ally etc um, and we're going to be discussing all of those during this show um, but first i just kind of want to give our viewers a little general background information about you so as a young person like very young i knew that i was different um, but i didn't have any words to describe that um, in fact, I didn't really know what the word gay was until after it had come out. Yeah. Um, and um, my freshman year of high school, I joined the marching band. So I have a one-time at, one at band camp story. Um, <laughs> and uh, the one time at band camp, I met uh, someone who was a little bit older than me. And we just kind of hit it off. And he and I started kind of dating. And his mom found out because of the uh, the dreaded internet. It was the 90s, and parents thought the internet was the worst thing. Um, and he and I were chatting, and I said something really mundane, something like or super normal, like, I could really use a hug right now. Um, and he ran downstairs to unplug the internet because he wasn't supposed to be on it. And his mom was upstairs and um, saw the message and then, like, called my parents and went to the school and outed both of us. Um, Jeez. Basically telling me uh, that me, at 14, I have turned her son gay um, and making a huge ruckus. She transferred him to another school. And, and then, like, I don't know. I, I, I've gotten a lot of time to be myself because I was forced out of the closet. Uh, and I honestly yeah. didn't, didn't even know what, you know, the terminology was until after I was already, um, you know, being called names. Uh, right. So my coming out story. How did you deal with that? I mean, obviously it's, it's incredibly tough, you know, coming out, but being outed by someone else's parent, um, and then them actually going down to the school to inform the school about it. What was that? Uh, what was your What was your feelings like going through that? Um, it was a lot, and it's funny because for me, it's like a it's a pivotal moment. It's a core memory in my life, right? Yeah. Um, and for my parents, they can't even remember the situation, which is wild because for me, it was such a big deal. Um, right. But I kind of like at home, kind of went back into the closet and kind of uh, 
well, went into a closet because I didn't know that the closet existed, but went right. into the closet when my, when my parents kind of were freaking out just to kind of save face and give myself time to process the situation. But at school, the damage was kind of done. And so I, for a couple of years, lived this like seemingly bisexual life where I was right. like, dating girls, but was really interested in guys. And, um, by my senior year, I was really, uh, comfortable with being just, just being gay. Um, and right after I graduated, I re came out to my mom. And then after my first semester of college or re came out to my dad and it, um, I don't know. I kind of appreciate having so much time. And even though I was forced out of the closet, it's in a way kind of a, a little bit of a blessing because I was able to like really think about and process who I was and what it means. Um, whereas I probably would have been wandering around confused a lot longer and you know, yeah, ended up down Do maybe a road I didn't intend to go down. Right. Uh, were there any supportive voices during that time period that kind of like, helped you during that process? Sure. The most supportive voice, uh, ironically, she didn't even remember this. I've talked to her recently, but I was in marching band, like I said, and the band director took me into our office the first day of school because all of this happened. Uh, all of this happened the first day of school. Um, and like my birthday was the day after. Um, wow. And she took me into the, into her office and was just like, are you okay? And that was literally the, the she's the only person that have checked on me. Um, and that one question meant the world to me so much that I still think about it. And she's the only teacher I'm still connected with after 20 years. Um, so it was a really pivotal moment. Um, and she always made me feel welcome. There were some who were like, you're the reason he's not here. We hate you. Um, but like, she never, she never took that route. And outside of that, there weren't any like queer voices. Um, yeah. It was just that I had people supporting me in life as opposed to supporting me with this uh, specific part of my life. Yeah. Um, how do you think things would have been different if you'd have had more supportive voices? Uh, I know you came out at very, well, you were outed at a very, very young age, um, during that time period. So what would you, well, how do you think things would have been different? Honestly, I think that I probably would not have backtracked. Um, and I probably wouldn't have thrown myself back into a closet at home. Um, or, uh, even, you know, I think that, especially in high school inadvertently you can hurt people um when you are um quote unquote living a lie um right. like i have friends who you know were my girlfriends in high school that i feel like it would have been better for us to just be friends but i needed this like uh this thing to latch on to of heteronormativity and right. if I would have had more queer voices, uh, if there were even, I don't know, out queer teachers at the time, I would have, um, 
I would have felt more comfortable just being myself and not having to even venture down that path. Yeah. So obviously you have come a very long way since then. Um, and mm -hmm. I know you that you're married and you have four children. Um, tell us a little bit about your family life and, and how you met your husband. Sure. My husband and I met online before apps existed. So we were, you know, chatting in chat rooms because that's, uh, that's kind of the route that when you're a, an older millennial, um, that's <laughs> right. the route that we go. Um, and so we met online and we had talked for like two years or so just chatting online um, because we were both dating people. Um, and then when we ended up single at around the same time, um, we decided, Hey, why don't we, why don't we go out on a date? And, um, I went, uh, pretty wild that night. We went out to eat at a diner and then watch the Rocky horror picture show because I had, oh. <laughs> I had worked, uh, for a midnight cast for several years and I was screaming at the TV and I thought to myself, well, like if he can handle this, um, he can handle anything. And by the end of the evening, I said something really cheesy that he gushes about all the time, which is, um, we have the rest of our lives to get to know each other. Do you want to be oh boyfriends? Goodness. <laughs> I know. So, so cheesy. <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> but, hey, it but it turned worked. out to be true. <laughs> yeah, it worked. So, I, you know, sometimes those cheesy lines, they, they work. Uh, yes. I know that, that, uh, you all, you all been married, um, and y'all, uh, one of the first ones in San Diego, correct? That was married. That's correct. Yep. And, um, I, I briefly know that in your podcast, you've talked about that y'all actually were married in 2009 prior to. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, in 2008, a law was passed um, because of poor planning, I think, honestly. And, and I think that we're still dealing with this issue in the, the queer community. And I'll get into that maybe later. But um, a law was passed um, where it became illegal in California to be uh, a married gay couple. Marriage was defined as between a man and a woman. Um, and right. it was Proposition 8, it was this huge thing. And I think the, the lack of uh, planning came from like, yes on eight means I'm against gay marriage and no on eight means I'm for gay marriage. And that at the time, not enough effort was put into kind of making that known um, right. And even from a branding standpoint, they were like blue and green posters. And like, it was all so happy when really what we needed to be like, you need to vote no on this. Um, right. But that's neither here nor there. So we decided that we were going to have a ceremony anyway. And so we had a commitment ceremony in a park in San Diego. Um, a friend of mine led a hand fasting um, and my uh, parents showed up and that's like, that is the official start. We, we, um, we uh, define our relationship in fractions. Like how many years have we been together? Well, <laughs> you know, four, 
14 and you know, yeah. nine tenths or whatever. Um, <laughs> and, and the nine and the 10 is like the day we started, like the day we had our commitment ceremony, the day that was like legally married. Um, right. Or 11 tenths, I think is what, what it currently is. It's like 12 and 11 tenths or something like that. Um, yeah. But uh, that was our first wedding. And then we have a crazy story because a couple of years, four years later, we decided, okay, it's time. We should, we should take the next step. We should have a baby. And that was the thought. We should have a baby, right? <laughs> right. So we started looking at um, adopting and we went through these certification classes and, um, got our home inspected and all of those things. And we were like, we want maybe like a toddler and one. And mm -hmm. the agency was like, how about five to six and two? And we we're like, sure, five <laughs> to six and two. And then they were like, how about three? Um, and we we're like, excuse me? Um, and so they showed us this really well-produced video by the news of these three siblings. Um, who are five, six, and nine. And like my oldest was like, I'm gonna be a soldier. And it was like super, like oh. super dramatic <laughs> with like patriotic music playing in the background and whatnot. And um, <laughs> so we said, sure, let's give it a whirl. Um, and they moved in with us two days before Christmas. And by July 1st, the next year, they were officially adopted. And it's crazy because they were officially adopted July 1st, 2013 at 9 a.m. We were legally married July 1st, 2013 at 3 p.m. So we went wow. from one courthouse in Orange County to another in San Diego. Wow. And we're <laughs> the first gay couple married. There was a lesbian couple before us. Gotcha. Now, how difficult was that process um, with the adoption, You with you all being same sex and not technically married at that time, kind of going through the different legal battles there. To be honest, we had a really smooth process. The adoption agency that we went through um, didn't specialize, but they had quite a few previous uh, LGBTQ parents who adopted. And their philosophy is single people can adopt, so can you. Um, and so then really, I think there were a couple of like, kids where it didn't work out um and i think at that point it comes down to like the social workers and the social workers being willing to work with various people because the social workers are the ones who decide who the kids get to go with um and so i think that the first two times probably wasn't a good fit and i can't i won't ever know like was that the reason but um the social worker for our kids was like super supportive and talked us up like crazy to the kids. Like how cool you get to yeah. have two dads. Like right. <laughs> people don't, some people like some people don't have one, you know, like right. you just, true. you get to have two dads. That's super cool. And like talked it up. Um, and so she did a really great job and she was super supportive. Um, and I think that was, that was what made the process easier. Yeah, I think and, it's a lot harder here. I know people here who've had to go to other states to adopt their children. Right. Uh, in and Texas. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's, we're definitely going to get into a lot of that. Um, and, but I love that you're both a parent and a teacher and can answer a lot of these from both different viewpoints. So we're going to do a little switching back and forth throughout this interview. And hopefully you can bear with me on that. Um, but I do want to turn, obviously, you are a teacher. Um, I loved your quote about, you know, you are trying to be the teacher that you wished you to had whenever you were younger. I think that's incredibly important uh, for those of us that to give back to our communities in that way. Um, but obviously that is getting harder to do, especially in Texas. Um, mm -hmm. But before I get into a lot of the different struggles, um, can you tell us, tell our viewers a little bit about um, your job as a teacher and career there? Sure. Um, for the past five years, I've been a theater teacher in San Antonio, Texas, and I've worked at two different schools. Um, and so at one of the schools, my, my job was basically all things theater. I was the only teacher. I did everything. Um, and so it's pretty fun because like I teaching people to sing, to act and like also to use a song. Um, right. <laughs> but I also, really um, have always had an affinity for uh, students with disabilities. And so I have, um, I have a program at my first school where I had an entire class that was devoted for students with disabilities to get up on stage and perform. And they worked with partners um, and we did lots of performance. It's um, awesome. And what was really cool is that because my focus has been on community and like, how can my school impact the community and how can we enhance the student community by being inclusive of everybody. I was voted the teacher of the year for my school and then the high school. And then I received lots of accolades um, in 2001, uh, where I was the Trinity University honoree for education. I was a HEB finalist, but not a, not a winner, semi-finalist, not a winner um, as for teacher of the year. And so it's been, it was a really wild ride. And now my capacity is to just teach technical theater, which is super fun because I'm doing light, sound, scenery, costume. I'm teaching people how to sew, uh, doing all this stuff where I'm like, take this home. It's a life skill. Um, it is, yeah. <laughs> and very few people know how to do that anymore. So that's, yeah. that's a good thing to know. Uh, so obviously you, you're perfect for this episode and, and we found you through your podcast and, and the promotions of your podcast. Um, what led you to start a teaching while queer podcast and tell us, tell our viewers a little bit about what you do there. Sure. So I started teaching while queer last summer. I have been talking about it for a year and a half, um, about how there is no space for teachers to share their experiences, specifically queer teachers. And there are tons of educational podcasts out there um, from people talking about their experiences. There are even parody podcasts where teachers take on pseudonyms and, you know, complain about what's happening on the news um, or what's yeah. happening in schools. <laughs> and but there wasn't a place for LGBTQ plus teachers to really share their stories. And yet we were constantly being silenced. And so. Right. I decided that I needed to, if there wasn't a place, I was just going to create the place. And so okay. I created Teaching While Queer in that effort. And what I do is each episode, I will talk to teachers about their experience growing up um, and being a part of the community. Uh, their coming out story, very similar to how we started this episode. And then we'll dive into education. What is it like working with students? Uh, what is it like working in administration and parents? 
Um, what would you say to a queer teacher who is debating whether or not they should be their authentic selves in their classrooms? Um, right. and, and all of that. And the goal is to just find a, or provide a place where one, our stories can be told and two, other people can see that those stories exist. So that way we become more commonplace because I think there's still this belief that there, queer people don't exist in these spaces, but they do, they're all over the place. Right. There's, and there's a lot of self-censoring and, and especially in education environments and those kind of things. So I'm a big believer in, in storytelling and I think that's incredible what you're doing. Um, your podcast is the one things I love about it. it is very similar to ours. We are a story, uh, life story type of podcast. We want to know people's actual stories. Um, and mm -hmm. that's why I also love what you're doing. Cause now I can just lead all my teachers to your podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, here, go to this one. He's going to have a lot more uh, value for you when it comes to, uh, teachers. Um, nice. so I do want to get into, uh, LGBTQ plus environments in the school system. Um, and the first thing I just kind of wanted to pitch out there is obviously we're seeing, and, and since you're in theater, um, I love films and those kind of things. And so, Obviously, we're seeing a lot more visibility when it comes to uh, LGBTQ representation in the school system at young ages. Uh, you know, we've got mm -hmm. Heart Stoppers, we've got Love Victor, we've got Young Royals. Um, how are you seeing that play out uh, in terms of visibility and comfort of LGBTQ students now? So um, I can't say that I know the direct correlation between those two things, but I can say that I do see um, students in abundance being themselves. So yeah. at both of the schools that I've worked at, we have a strong LGBTQ community um, of people. We've got uh, trans folks, you have non-binary folks, you have um, lesbian and gay, and they're all just like themselves yeah. unapologetically and are willing to kind of be out there um, and, so, and what I've found is that in some places and at, at various moments that the bigger problems arise at home than they do at school, which is kind of similar yeah. to what I feel my story was like, um, because I, I did feel more comfortable being myself at school than I did at home. Um, but it's different than other teachers or other people. I've had an interview with someone who was actually like bullied by teachers for being yeah. gay. Um, and so I think that the representation is important because I think it's important to see yourself in, uh, in film and in the world. And those were the things that were missing. Um, when I was younger, like Jack from Will and Grace, Jack and Will were like, right. That's what a gay per that's what a gay person was. And that's all there is to it. Um, yep. and then I, I think a lot about, um, I watched the documentary, it's on Netflix, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, but it's about trans representation in, in the media. And it essentially was like some people's first exposure to a trans person was like silence of the lambs, you know, the serial right. killer who's piecing together a suit. Um, and that's what they think a trans person is. And so the fact that we're able to move beyond that and have so much representation and, and have, uh, not only, uh, characters but people right on the screen is so impactful 
Yeah, I definitely think, um, you know, shows like Pose and various uh, other shows like that are incredible in terms of starting our trans representation, because you're right. A lot mm -hmm. of even early books and things, uh, your transgender individuals were always, you know, serial killers or murderers. They were always in a negative light. Um, so I do yeah. think it's incredible um, that they're kind of pushing, you know, more representation now. Uh, one thing that I, I randomly discovered this fact, but um, mm -hmm. Texas actually has more banned books uh, centering around race and LGBTQ issues than any other state uh, in the country. Um, did have, did you notice any experience with with that? Do you all not have LGBTQ books at your school or is it something that's just not followed? <laughs> so um, they're basically... <laughs> the way that it's working is that there is like a conservative parent group that um, targets school districts um, and sends, sends out basically a newsletter to conservative parents in that school district because uh, to, to enforce the law. So um, I, have seen like from knowing the librarian at my previous school, at least I've seen yeah. that there were sp specific books brought into question and specific issues like trans awareness week. There was a display with like uh, different books about um, transgenders uh, perspectives and, and, and different books by transgender authors, uh, mostly graphic novels, right? Because um, yeah. that's what the kids are reading. And a uh, parent was, you know, angry that that even existed. Um, and then right after that was when um, there was a huge list of ban books to ban. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, right after that, the parents started targeting those specific books. And so then the librarian was brought in and told that these books needed to be removed. Um, not all of them were removed. Basically, the school district okay. has the right to review them. So that's a part of part of the laws that the school district, because one thing Texas prides itself in, but also it's, it's a complete lie, is like uh, the focus on local government. Right. <laughs> um, so theoretically, the school districts have the right to decide. And I think that was, um, gosh, I can't think of the name. It's a graphic novel. Um, genderqueer maybe this graphic Could novel be. basically basically had an image of like a person with a strap on on and gotcha. so that ended up being the book that was removed because of that image and i thought to myself like from my perspective and i'm i'm not like i think the content of the book is great i think that um i wouldn't want to see uh like straight person with their pants down in a graphic novel at a school. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. that maybe, maybe the illustration in question uh, is hit or miss. Uh, right. And so that I get, but for, from my perspective and the schools that I worked at, unless somebody raises their voice, um, they're not even looking for the book. Right. They don't even know if it's in the catalog. Yeah. And that, I mean, it is often, it, it's often hard to know where to draw the line, you know, cause it's, right. uh, you know, there are books, there are graphic novels and stuff that definitely, uh, I think 
everyone across the board would agree should not be in school. <laughs> but right. uh, then, then there's also, you know, a certain era of, you know, the age groups and various things. So um, I think you'll be able to talk a lot about that since you parent uh, a lot of you know different age groups right now. So uh, but I do want to get into specifically uh, the bills that are that are up right now. Um, and unlike, you know, most federal uh, worker protections, teachers don't have those same protections that federal employees do. Um, they're subject to those state and local laws. Uh, so currently in Texas, I know that there's two bills um, that would ban classroom instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity um, in Texas public schools. Um, and I know that there's a various there's an argument right now between even the Republicans as to what grade that that should extend to, whether third, fifth or eighth grade. Um, and I know the wording is also so loose that it could extend to all grade levels. Um, so dealing with this as an openly gay teacher what are your initial reactions and worries um, about them pushing forward with this? My initial reaction is that your description of the wording is basically Texas law. Like all, mm -hmm. all of Texas law is worded in a way <laughs> where it's subject to debate. Right. right. Um, but what worries me is that these laws are being created without people walking into classrooms. Yeah, because the problem is we are not teaching about sexual orientation or gender identity or heterosexuality or any of that. We're just teaching. And if those things arise, they arise. But right. the pr I think the problem with parents is like or with legislation um, and the like the parent storm that comes from LGBTQ issues is I don't want my child to do this. Well, education isn't for a singular child or for a singular group. Education, especially with public education, is for everybody and everybody should be represented in that. And I think that for a state that prides itself, literally prides itself in being like the everybody state, like you're a Texan, you should be a Texan before you're American, like. Um, that kind of mentality, you can't be taking away the rights and voices of people. And at the same time being like, we're for everybody. Everybody here is a Texan and, you know, Texas the best. Yeah. Um, so I find that really concerning, but I also, because they really don't do a great job in the legislator, like, how are you going to know? We don't, yeah. there's nothing in the curriculum that says sexual orientation or gender identity. And that's that, and the thing comes down to like pronouns. I don't use pronouns. I think a lot well, of it does. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> I guarantee you, they uh, use pronouns probably you, within you, you, the you, bills that they wrote. So <laughs> correct. Not only that, but they said the word "I." Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, like, um, it just drives me crazy because I think it really does come down to us asking pronouns. And I actually had a situation in, in my classes where like, uh, um, I was asking pronouns. I was giving the option to give pronouns and like a principal was like, you shouldn't do that. And I was like, excuse me, I'm trying to create safe spaces here. Right. This should be the most safe place. Like, I should be a pretty safe teacher to be yourself, your authentic self with. And the principal was like, well, you know, I asked my son whether or not they would feel comfortable with pronouns. And my son was like, 
well, I just feel like it would be weird to have to explain that I was a boy. And I was like, ding, ding, ding. That's the problem, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because trans people don't want to have to explain who they are. They just exactly. want to say it one time and have you respect them. And I was like, so I'm sorry that you're like, cisgender kids going to be upset with it. But like being uncomfortable is completely different than being unsafe. And the people who are being hurt are the people in the LGBTQ community. Like there are not militias of gay people walking around killing straight kids just because they're straight. Yeah. And I guarantee you the other thing is, is if one of those kids refused to write their pronouns on that sheet of paper for you, you wouldn't ask them and force them to do that. You know, like that's, nope. you know, that's, so it's like, that's a, a thing that everyone has to start living openly and, and freely without, being worried about making other people uncomfortable, you know, like you have to be true to yourself when it comes to that. Um, obviously this bill, if it does pass, um, you know, it's, it's got a lot of, uh, people supporting it. Um, how are you going to react if it passes? Are you going to like, are you going to have to start self-censoring? Are you going to be taking down photos of your family? Like, what are you, what are you afraid of any of that? So here's the thing about self-censoring that I, I find frustrating is that like, I already did it. When, like, I don't feel, I have my kids and my husband up in my classroom now because I had a conversation with my teaching partner at the start of the school year at a new school. And she was like, um, I absolutely believe you need to have your family represented in your classroom. Yeah. Um, I had my very first principal tell me that I shouldn't come out to the students so quickly. And I was like, my kids go here. What do you want them to do? Lie. Um, yeah. And... So, um, I like subconsciously started self-censoring after that conversation with the principal and like in my old school, I didn't have any family representation other than like my, a handprint heart that my daughter had made for Valentine's day or something once. And now I'm, you know, feeling good. Got my rainbow flag up, got my, right. my, um, my kids on the wall and I won't, I like refuse to go back. So right. for me personally, nothing's going to change. And yeah. I will just take to the streets because we've had similar bills try to be passed in the past and have been effective in going to the Capitol during, during session and getting those bills denied. Yeah, that's so great. So hopefully we can do the same thing. Um, because yes, there are people who support it, but if you're only looking at the, that group and not seeing that there are other people there and I, I email my representatives constantly and surprisingly, they actually write back, uh, cause some of them I've had to meet cause I've had to, uh, be the stage manager for events on my campus that right. were Republican <laughs> campaign events. Um, yeah. And so uh, I write to them and I'm like, don't forget that your constituency is everybody in this area, not just right. conservatives. Um, and so I'm pretty vocal about that with, with my actual representatives and with prop eight and in California, I was on the streets with people marching and I will do the same thing here. Um, 
That's great. I just believe yeah. so so much in the power of people. I mean, look at what's happening in France right now, just because they wanted to change mm-hmm. the the um, retirement year. It's like people took yeah. to the streets, and I think that there's power in numbers. Definitely, for sure. Um, one thing I know that there a lot of the those that oppose then not just on you know the lgbtq homophobia that it actually is uh but they're stating that you know the bills are written in such a way that the faculty uh the school districts aren't able to explain to the faculty what they can and cannot do um has your school district made any effort in trying to tell you all like these bills are coming forth here's what would change anything like that so you're not seeing anything yeah. So the way it usually works um, is that like there are regional uh, support centers for the school districts. Um, and there are two, like my school is right in between two of them. But once those regional support centers, they, they work with all of the surrounding school districts. Once they kind of come up with an understanding of what the legislation is, they'll, they'll meet with the superintendents and then they kind of like pass that down. Um, yeah. I know that uh, the the school that I left, I chose the perfect time to leave because when they started this school year, they asked all of their teachers to take down anything that had a rainbow on it. Like, wow, kindergarten, take the rainbow down. Um, and so um, they said that, you know, they're attorneys because you know, their attorneys said to do this. So that's what we need to do. And no laws had even been passed yet. Right. This is all just speculation and and spewing from people who are trying to get votes. Um, Yeah. So they usually won't give us any guidance until after something passes because that's when it actually matters. Jeez. Um, (laughs) So obviously the, if there is to be changes, um, I'm kind of going to have you put on the other hat. Obviously you're a theater teacher and there's mm-hmm. a lot of theater that's, that's mixed up in the LGBTQ culture. Uh, what, what good things do you think that you, if you were forced to, that you, that students would lose out on that you wouldn't be able to teach anymore, uh, whether certain types of theater or anything like that, that they might lose out on. I think that there's a whole, mix of um playwrights that we wouldn't be able Mm -hmm. to do there are stories that need to be told um when i mean even we just recently did the play clue you know it's based off of the 80s movie clue and mr green has a line that's like i know why i'm here it's mr green is a who is a homosexual right like he's there (laughs) he's being blackmailed for being gay in the 50s yeah. Well, there goes Clue. Couldn't do it. Um, and that's and there are just so like many a, that a, like that, right? And there's so many like that, exactly. And not to mention stories that actually center on queer people or the idea mm-hmm. of queer people. There's a play that's really popular right now called She Kills Monsters. It's it's like a Dungeons and Dragons play. Um, mm-hmm. They play the game during the show, but um, at one point there's a lesbian kiss on stage. Um, and, and that story is beautiful because it's really about like the really heart of the story is about a girl grieving the death, like her sister died and she's grieving her sister by playing her sister's adventure in Dungeons and Dragons. And it's a beautiful story, yeah. but you lose out on the beautiful story 
if you take out all the elements of it. And I even like, I did that play and somebody was like, Oh, you chose the, you know, the lesbian route. And I was like, I couldn't ever see myself cutting that. And my students were right. like, absolutely not. And what's wild is like, I had my students write a play that centered on lesbian love. Like they, they wrote it and it had a lesbian uh, romance in it. And, um, and so not only does it limit what we can, what we can provide from the publishing route, like we found these plays for us to produce, but my students would be limited on the stories that they're allowed to tell. Like even think creative. That's writing. very true. Any, any class that has to do with the students sharing their own perspective, they wouldn't be allowed to talk about their perspective if they were queer. That's an incredible point for sure. Like that's, it, it really would limit a lot of creativity just in what students could do and, and expand and, you know, and learn from um, the, obviously um, there's going to be teachers that are allies. Um, obviously you're very gung ho about it. You know, you, you, you've lived the life, you, you're past the fears of doing a lot of this stuff, but there's going to be a lot of allies out there that may have had that rainbow flag, but may not think twice about taking it down. Um, even though that they are supportive of the LGBTQ culture and environment. What would you say to those teachers that are kind of lingering on this middle line right now? I think that um, when it comes to civil rights and human rights, there is no gray area is yeah. what I would say that you are either supporting humanity or you are supporting divisiveness. Um, and I think that goes across the board. I mean, a part of the, so many people that I know who have like done anti-racist training and anti-racist is also anti, you know, uh, mm -hmm. anti-homophobia and anti-transphobia and anti-hate in general. Um, I think that if you are going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk and realize that people will notice and whether you like it or not, some sort of judgment will be passed on you. And maybe yeah. those students won't feel safe in your space anymore. And you'll stop getting people coming to talk to you or you, you will become uh, more of somebody to avoid. Yeah. Uh, I've got one more question as a, from the teacher perspective, then I want to switch perspectives mm -hmm. on you. Um, and that is, I know from your personal experience that you were outed at a young age. Now, a lot of these bills are requiring counselors and even teachers that know of, you know, a student's LGBTQ status um, to actually have to inform parents about that and actually have to out the child to their parents if they were to reveal that in school. Um, how do you balance your, you know, personal feelings with that? and what might be required uh, by law? Um, I don't think there's a balance. I'll just break the law. There we go. <laughs> I love that answer. That's what I was hoping you would say. Because um, I, I also look at it from like a, a different perspective. We have all these laws federally in place to protect the privacy of students. And I think that there's something to be said, especially like my own children. If they're in therapy, mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to know anything about it. My children go to right. the counselor at school. I'm not allowed to know about it unless they're going to hurt themselves. I think that there is a level of privacy from these laws that exist that extends to the parents. 
and that you yeah. don't need to know these things until the child is ready to tell you because we may be putting them in an unsafe situation by being forced out them. Absolutely. And I, I'm glad you said that because I, I know there's going to be a lot of people that, that are not LGBTQ teachers that are going to be kind of confronting that battle. Um, and I think it's so important to hear from your experience why that that's detrimental to a child, you know, why you can't do that, you know, for that reason. Um, I mean, what's going to happen? Is going to call me and be like, you have a gay, is there a gay kid in class? Nope. Never heard right. of him. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah. And I, I think it's a, it's a law that's going to be very easy to break, um, you know, in, even inadvertently. So it's, it's a dangerous slippery slope uh, for the legislatures to even include such language. But um, I definitely think this is one as a lawyer, I would encourage you to break. Um, <laughs> so as a parent, um, obviously you're raising, you've raised four children that were, you know, of different ages right now. What, is your concern if this bill were to pass for them? Obviously, they wouldn't be able to talk about you openly uh, in school. How would that affect them? I think that it would be uh, it would be hard to enforce because so much of talking about our personal life is built into just who we are as people, um, and so. I think that what would be hard or what I'm concerned about is homophobia being brought to our house and being brought to their classrooms in a blatant way like that, where a, a student can literally tell them, shut up, you're not allowed to talk about that. Um, and, and I think that it would be relatively confusing, but I'm also not going to tell my kids not to talk about us. Um, and so I think the the fears that I have, especially with how radicalized people can be, is that violence and hate come to my doorstep. It's part of the mm -hmm. reason I left my previous school uh, was due to hearing the words, uh, let's get that faggot out of the school. Um, and, and knowing like, okay, my children go here. We live in the community, so I'm going to separate myself to keep them safe. And so I think that my biggest fear in general is that something radical or violent would happen with my kids. And I think that this kind of language where I'm allowed to talk about my mom and dad, but you're not allowed to talk about your life period is yeah. ri ridiculous, but also so divisive that it can create a very unsafe environment. Definitely. I, I totally agree. And that's a great explanation of it. I, you you brought up, you know, that you've been kind of targeted as well as, as a teacher. And I think that's something these bills are really focused on. And what I think is incredible is how many teachers are winning teacher of the year that are a member of the LGBTQ community right now that are having to leave their own schools because they're being targeted. I mean, we had a teacher of the year here in Kentucky that, that had to leave his school because he was being targeted. And I mean, you've kind of faced similar situations with, with schools. And I guess that's a big point for me, for parents that are out there listening is you need your LGBTQ teachers. Cause a lot of them are some of the best teachers that, that kids feel safe around. Um, mm -hmm. So as a parent though, obviously there's, there's things that we do need to draw the line on, uh, you know, and, and it's kind of hard to, 
do that when it comes to topics of sexuality and, and what is appropriate for certain age groups and, you know, that sort of uh, mentality and, and thought process there. But as a parent, where do you think we should kind of start drawing that line when it comes to sexuality being taught in schools? I think that if you can explain that a man and woman are married, you can explain that a man and man are married. I was yeah. introduced to my niece when she was three. I've known my nephew since he was born. They've mm -hmm. had two uncles. They know that it's easy to explain because the problem is the term like sexual orientation, homosexuality were created by cisgendered white men. Right. <laughs> and the, the etymology of the, the word is built in discrimination. And so it's actually just the part of it that says sexuality that people are like, nope, red flags, that's bad because sex is bad and children shouldn't know about it. And really it has nothing to do with sex. And so yeah. if we got on board with, you know, words that have been taught for centuries, like the Greek idea of love has so many facets to it, yeah. and all of those things, um, just using the suffix romantic instead of sexual, I think that it would be a lot different story. But the way that history has been written is that these white men, these cisgender white men came up with this word and now now it's flung upon us and we have to use it um and it's dividing the community because sex is bad when there's not it's not a discussion about sex like exactly if yeah. i'm and I saying think that a, i'm married to my husband it's not sex yeah i think that's a great point i think a lot of times what the bills get confused is identity versus sex. Like there's a difference mm -hmm. between teaching identity words that can easily be defined, you know, in the, in the dictionary versus sexual acts and, mm -hmm. and how to do those sexual acts and the stories behind them. I think, you know, that's, that's kind of the gradual process of, you know, learning. And I think, you know, learning about sexual acts and stuff is something we have to wait until, you know, high school age and mm -hmm. whenever you're starting to kind of get into that kind of stuff. Uh, but as far as identity goes, I mean, earlier and earlier is the best is best to teach kids. Um, you know, they if they know what colors are, they're starting to identify objects and then they can start to identify races and identify different types of people. Um, so I definitely think identity is important, um, even sexual identity uh, for kids to understand. Um, I want to go into allyship a little bit before we kind of start wrapping up here. Um how do, and this can be kind of some short answers to these questions, but how can teachers make themselves more approachable for LGBTQ students? Um, I think one is just being your authentic self, regardless of who you are, um, mm -hmm. showing support, asking how you're doing, building relationships with their students is, is key. Um, because all it takes to be an ally is to to walk alongside the student as opposed to just stand there. So really yeah. checking in with them is is the part that needs to happen more. Yeah. And we're obviously we're starting to see more homophobic and transphobic attitudes, you know, within our different red states. How do you as a teacher uh how would you respond to those kind of comments and stuff if a student were to say them to you? 
Well, I'm a huge person that uh, with regard to core values, like I think core values mm-hmm. are a big, big thing. And our school has a set of values. And I, I try to reiterate, like, those values aren't a part of our school culture. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you really believe that, then you're not, you know, acting as a member of this community. The community is everybody in it, regardless of your race, gender, sexual orientation. Yeah. Now I know you um, you either are running an LGBTQI group or can you tell us a little bit about your experience there and, and starting and, and kind of running those groups at schools? Sure. Um, so I have started one and I've ran one. Um, I was surprised actually on my current campus how many students uh, wanted to participate, which is super cool. Um, but my experience honestly is most of the time it's it's funny because I've been a uh, targeted again. Um, right. Uh, I was asked by a conservative group, you know, who runs the gay organization and the school district had to give my information out. Um, and they wanted to know agendas and whatnot. And the agenda literally is kids hanging out. Yeah. Um, that is the majority of what we're doing. And there's been a few times where I've had students take, take the lead on like, we want to talk about this subject. And it was like, you know, queer representation in media. Queer history. Yeah, that's great. Like those kind of things, but it, it's pretty. Um, it's really just kids hanging out, having community. and that's it's those kind of groups are very much student led. You're not really uh-huh. creating an agenda for them. It's it's much more students getting together and deciding what they want to learn about or do together. Hundred um, percent. So I definitely I commend you on that, and um, I think a lot of people are interested in starting those kind of things at their schools, but just don't really know what to expect, you know? So dealing with students that are getting picked on, um, potentially for being LGBTQ, but they've not directly come out to you. Um, how would you approach that situation uh, if, if you were to have to kind of help that student? The first thing that I ask is, if I see a student in distress, is like, what do you need? What do you need right now? And it could be from me or it could be something that I can get for you. So, um, I think that that is going to be essential because it allows the student space to process what you're saying and they can choose whether or not they provide you all of the information or just enough information to go to the counselor's office or to have a quiet place to relax or for you to intervene because the situation just happened and you know how to get a hold of the students who it happened with. Um, and allowing them to really process what they need. I think that's another part of allyship that's important because if you do too much, you like the student might not be ready for that. So yeah. providing with students with like the amount of support that they need in that moment. Yeah. I think that's an incredible answer. Um, we do two kind of final questions on this show. Um, one is always our rural youth question. So I'm going to start there um, and I'll phrase it like this. With everything going on in the world, obviously it's it's difficult time for schools and, and dealing with LGBTQ topics. Um, but if you had a classroom, and I, I guess you kind of have done this with your LGBTQI group, <laughs> but if you had a classroom filled with LGBTQ youth, and you only had a short time to talk with them, you know, maybe a minute or two, what would you say to them um, to encourage them during this time period? Um, 
the first thing that I would say is just a reminder that like a lot of what happens on the media is amplified. It's a loudspeaker to a situation that may not be real. Like we hear that there's a lot of support for these bills, but there's also a lot of like people opposing them. Um, it's just not the headline. The other thing I would say is that it's easy to feel alone and that extends into your adulthood. Like it's very easy to feel alone, but there is an entire world of people who are in this community with you, who will support you. Um, and that we are so blessed in the fact that we have the internet to connect us all. And so in those moments where you are feeling like I'm the only person find someone that you can connect with. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's great advice for uh, rural youth out there. Um, I do real quick want to highlight your podcast. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, I know you're, you're wanting to get teachers to write to you and things like that. Um, so mm -hmm. for the teachers out there listening, I'm going to let him kind of explain how to get in touch with him so that you can potentially be on his show and share your experience uh, as a teacher. So can you tell him how to reach you? Sure. If you would like to be a guest or if you'd even just like to check out the podcast, you can go to teachingwhilequeer.com. And if you want to be a guest, there's a registration link there. Um, if you want to download the podcast, there are several options on the website directly. So that's teachingwhilequeer.com. Or you can hit me up on Instagram at the, uh, at the Brian Stanton. Yep. And, and both of those actually will be linked in our uh, descriptions below. So if you uh, want to reach out to him, you can reach out to him either through his website or through Instagram. Um, definitely go check out his podcast. I've listened to it and I, it's it's very similar to our own. So if you like ours, you're definitely going to love his, um, especially if you are a teacher or a student or educator in, in that sense. Um, we always wrap up our show. Um, I give you an opportunity to ask me one question, anything you want. It can literally be anything. Um, and then I wrap up the show with one final question to you. <laughs> I have a question. I learned this question right. when I was in college or high school for any time that there was a question. How does dry cleaning right. work? How does dry cleaning work? That is a yes. great question. Um, how my dry cleaning works is my secretary takes it down to the, the store. Um, and then she picks it up and she puts it on my office hanger. So that's, that's how mine would work. Um, is that, is that an answer? <laughs> Guess it works. I don't know. <laughs> Love it. Who wash clothes. Everything's always wet. How does dry cleaning work? That's, that's a, that's a great question. <laughs> that That is the first time I have been asked that on this show. So I've been asked some pretty wild questions, but. You start getting technical with me, and I'm, I'm not going to have an answer. <laughs> All right. Um, on your final question, um, it's a little more serious one, <laughs> but hopefully you can answer it. Um, obviously, I'm a firm believer that anytime uh, these bills and things come out, gays end up reversing them. Uh, you know, they told us we couldn't get married. Well, now we've got gay marriage. You know, they told us we couldn't you know, do anything and then we reverse it and we actually get it passed uh, to where it's it's guaranteed to us. Um, on that note, um, if they're trying to eliminate, you know, these discussions in schools, if we were to reverse it, at what age would you mandate uh, that schools start educating about sexual identity? Um, and as well as what topics would you include in, in such a discussion? 
Um, I honestly think that uh, going the route of third grade is probably smart. I was listening to a podcast earlier uh, that was talking about psychological stages that we go through in life. And eight to 11 year olds are the stages of like categorization and collecting. Yeah. And I think that that seems like eight years old would be. And I say that having an eight year old who has known me as her dad, her whole life and my husband as her dad, right. her whole life. But I think if we're going to mandate something that is probably the age where categorization is more important. And so the information will stick a little bit more. And I would include talks about love, yeah. what it means to love somebody and how anybody can love anybody. I would also include books about uh, identity that cover all identity and not just like a trans identity. There is a great book series that I found through TikTok that's like, my shadow is yellow. And, yeah. and, and it talks, you know, it gives a very simplistic view of like what it means to be different than other people. And I think that uh, if we can see the differences of race and gender very obviously, then we have to be more clear about the things that we can't see. That is a beautiful response, and I'm definitely going to end the show on that because I don't think you could have said that any more perfect <laughs> uh, for what we need here. Um, so if you're a teacher out there, uh, definitely go check out his Brian's podcast, uh, Teaching While Queer. Um, and Brian, it was such a pleasure to have you on our show today. Thank you for being a part, and thank you for being Teacher of the Year and everything you're doing for <laughs> your students out there. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. Don't forget to come on back now. I know we all love a little vibration, so if you are not already, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. And we will surprise you on occasion with a new release vibration in your pocket. But in the meantime, if you find yourself alone or crossing new horizons along the rainbow trail and you need a friend or even a laugh to get you through those dark and stormy nights, holler on out to us at www.weatheringrainbows.com where you can find shelter in the blogs, videos, and other episodes that will hopefully keep you out of a whole heap of trouble. So until next time, y'all, giddy up, be true to yourself, and make the best of life. And wherever the wild tracks may lead you, may the rainbow always touch your shoulder.